This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. That is a real company. They have a funny name, but they're a real company. I am here with the real Mike Allen from Axios. Greetings, Mike. Oh, Peter, what a treat. And do your listeners know that we're in a stand-up comedy club? Is that kosher? We talk about it sometimes. We talk about the way it smells sometimes. It's kind of a beer smell. It's a... I think it's something better not talked about. Some people love it. I have become fond of it over a year. By the way, we've been doing this for more than a year. We're now at a million streams. So thank you guys for Mazel listening. Tov. And thanks again for Mike for joining us. Mike, We're going to two this week. Yeah, yeah. We're going to bump it. Thanks for making time because you are one of the busiest men in journalism because you crank out every morning since January 10th. When did you start this year? Uh, January 10th. And I did... So in The morning pre- newsletter through Axios. You should be subscribing. If you aren't already, you probably are. You don't stop. You have not stopped. It comes out Saturday and Sunday. Oh, oh yes. Uh, so seven days a week, 365. And the reason for that is, Peter, when I started my morning newsletter at my previous employer, it first was five Politico. days a week. I'll fill that in for you. But what we discovered was that people actually want it more on the weekends because you're not plugged in all the time. And we discovered that people love it on holidays because you're maybe traveling, like the blue bag maybe isn't in the driveway. So Axios AM, Mike's top 10, so it's just yeah. 10 items, is 365 days a year. I did Playbook, my previous one, something like 3,400 days in a row. So I only have 3,352 days to go to break well, my Well, I have many questions for you, but one of them is how do you keep the pace? Because I get that people want to read things on the weekend. I want to read things on the weekend. Sometimes I actually want to know about them. Sometimes I'm just trying to avoid doing other things I might have to do on the weekend. But you're cranking this stuff out of high volume. You're producing it yourself overnight in the morning. You send it out. I think on weekends you give yourself a little break, and it comes out maybe at 8.30 instead of 7.30. Yeah, you, can, you can tell how much fun I had the night before by how late – Axios AM But you are, you are a middle-aged man. I think you're probably in your 50s at this point. It's a brutal pace. How do you uh, do it? I mean, uh, Tom Brady is uh, uh, keeping it up. And so. you are not getting tackled, so there, there's that. <laughs> exactly. No, it's so much fun. Like, two things. One is the fact that people like you and your listeners read it is so awesome and makes it fun to do. There's never, in the 3,500 or whatever days it is, there's never been a single day that I didn't wake up and wasn't excited to do it. I don't have an alarm clock. I just wake up. Uh, and the times we have, we were just uh, chatting here with uh, uh, Beth before we started. Like like the fact that you have like a year of news in a day, Yeah, it just makes it so fun. And so I'm, I wake up and can't wait. So I think most people who are listening to this, reading your newsletter, they get what you do. But we'll talk it's about all of, of that. It's part of a good breakfast. But, but I do want to talk about just, just today's newsletter. And this at the risk, I know this will be outdated because it'll be outdated when it comes out tomorrow. And this podcast will be a few days after we talk. But today... Behind the curtain. Today, you've got... Today, your, your lead story is the attacks in Syria. Number two is a scoop from you. You say that, that Reince Priebus may be out. You list potential candidates. You say Bannon may also be going out. What was the number three item? So number three was oh, the leader uh, of the three world meeting with, the, with China. No, that's no. You're right. So that's how crazy it is. No, number three was get smart fast. Our quick catch up yeah. on what happened last night in Syria, and this is a big part of the Axios idea, and that is that people who are smart, interested, interesting, engaged news consumers want to get smart fast and don't have the time and probably shouldn't 
read all these long it's articles. a headline plus two more things you should know essentially or one overview and we're not going to make you read eight paragraphs right, or listen two minutes and gets to the point yeah. so you'll see on axios every item is roughly an iphone screen you go on to yeah. axios.com our stream and where you'll see our coverage of media tech business politics and as you swipe uh, and it's the it's the facebook architecture as you swipe every story an iPhone screen, you can catch up very quickly. You can yeah. drop down or click to get more. But one of the big ideas behind Axios is that so many of our uh, great uh, journalistic brands cater to the journalists, not to the people. Right. This is part of Jim Jim Van Dyke was uh, was uh, on our stage in December and sort of made this pitch. Yeah. So so when and it's not a pitch. We lived it. So. Uh, I came up through newspapers, worked for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and all the time that we were coming up, we were taught that, uh, like, you know this, like, any, almost any story has an, one awesome quote, one great stat, one new idea. But then when you and I were coming up, we were taught to write 780 words yeah. around it to try to get on the front page or to get in right. the Right, and also that the, 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 the longer story connotes the more important story. And you always see this. I just uh, – you see this at the end of the year when everyone has their award submissions. They don't call them award submissions, but these are the big heaving stories that come out at the end of the year. They're multi-part. They're, many times they're very, very good, but they're all very long because that means they're serious. And by the way, we put in months of work to do it. So here are and many they, thousands no, of No, you're so right. You get, and you get it right into the wire the last week of December, and you know – the last week of December, that's when people really want to curl up with a long yeah. story. No, it's a perfect example. And in those long pages, long stories, like there's a couple of important ideas. And what Axios does is surface that and will signal you if it's worth reading more. So Axios means worthy in Greek. The idea is worthy of your yep. time, worthy content, worthy audience, worthy journalists. And so you'll see in Axios AM, I'll say, worthy of your time. And that's something that you should read the whole thing. But you have time to do that because you're not wasting it yeah. looking for things or diving into an article that doesn't deliver. So let me let me go back to today's newsletter. So so we're working our way through down what was in there. Um, number four was the- uh, The two most powerful people in the world having dinner. Right. And then the nuclear option- uh, uh, there's a new Supreme Court justice. Push the button. These are all huge stories. Any on a normal day in a normal world, these would all be page one stories. They would dominate the news. Here you've got five or six of these things jammed in there. So not only are you reporting at speed, but you just because of the nature of Trump, I think um, there's just so much shit happening. Shit's a technical term. Is that great for you? Because there's just so many more vectors for you to go in on, or is it even for someone who's as kinetic as you, hyperkinetic as you, is that really a challenge to figure out which one of these things is most important? How do I prioritize this stuff? No, it's fantastic times. It's part of the reason that this is a golden age for media. So with Trump, as you know. Like, all, all boats are up. Everybody's traffic is up. But so many people, it's because of what I call the NASCAR effect. People just like to look at the crash and yeah. the spectacle, right? But the reason that it's fantastic for Axios on day 80 or whatever it is, is that you know this from your private social conversations. People are starving, hungry, desperate for illumination about the Trump White House, about what's going on. And we're able to do that. And so it got us off on an incredible start. Like we've taken off like a rocket ship, like even more 
than we could have thought. And a big part of it is is because we can help people understand this crazy world. Now, part of the big idea of Axios is that you take those four big topics, business, tech, media trends, and politics, and it used to be that if you ran a company or a government or a philanthropy, that you were probably smart in one or two of those. But this is part of the recode idea, and this is the water you swim in, that now those things are all the same, that that business is tech and media is business and politics is media. I think, I think particularly like in tech, what's happened because of Trump really uh, is that you could spend most of your life in technology and pay glancing attention to Washington. Sometimes it would bump up against you if you were talking about net neutrality or some obscure lobbying thing, but generally you just did your thing. And now because of the man occupying the White House, everyone has to be interested in politics, whether or not they've ever cared about it before. I think that's the difference that's really benefited you. I think before you could remain in that silo and now you can't. No, and and even before Trump, we realized, so my two partners, Jim Vanahai and Roy Schwartz and I, uh, did a listening tour around the country as we were developing this idea. And you go out to Silicon Valley and you talk to CEOs there and they say, members of Congress, come west to see me. And one of them said, it's like someone with a master's degree talking to a third grader. Now, in this example, uh, the Who's CEO the was, not the, third, okay. was not the third grader. And so they belt. talk completely different languages. So one of our like, animating ideas is that if you can help the Valley understand D.C., if you can psychically and even literally connect them, like that's great for society – and it's great journalism, and it's ultimately an awesome business. Can we talk about some of the mechanics of, of how you do what you do? You're doing something similar to what you did at Politico, right? At Politico, you had the playbook email here. You've got, I don't even, what is your newsletter called? Axios know it's, AM. It's Mike's Mike, it's Mike Allen's newsletter is what it is. But all right, uh, that, thank you for the proper branding. I appreciate it. It's a similar idea, right? I think the idea with Politico was broader, right? There's a lot of what's going on in D.C., and here you're more focused on the White House specifically, but is it still the same sort of premise? You're going, you're you're out looking for news tidbits. You're you're sorting and 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 winnowing what's important, what's not. It seems like it's very dependent, in particular right now in the White House, on you getting access to a handful of key people for information. Am I summing up your job correctly? Well, it is. And what Axios AM does is actually look beyond politics and takes in. The wider world. So we often have recode. We have media trends. We have right. uh, big uh, social science research. But that's sort of a dessert, right? The the reason I'm opening you is to figure out what you think is going on inside the White House. Yeah. So one of the ideas behind this newsletter, and one of the ways that I decide what order things are going to be in and what's going to be in. So it's just ten numbered items. We start with one big thing, yep. and you've got two through nine, and then at the end we have one fun thing. Sometimes one healthy thing, sometimes one surprising thing. And the idea behind Axios AM, and when I'm on my game, when it's really in its sweet spot, here's what it is. It's exactly what it would be like for you and me to have breakfast. That if we were to sit down at one of the fancy places that you guys breakfast, what would we do? We would talk about a scoop, something new that I know. We would talk about- What do you hear? Yes, yes, perfectly put. And we would talk about what others had that we missed, what we got scooped on. We talked about what we're gonna do today and we talked about what we did last night. And if, if, if I can replicate the 
conversation that you and I would have, right. that is fire. The difference, though, is that the people in the White House and the prior life in, in, in the wider world in D.C. knew that you produced a newsletter. And so what they were doing is they would talk to you with the hopes that you would get something out that they wanted to get out. Um, they would tell you because they wanted you to spread information out. I was reading a great profile of you uh, from a few years back in the Times Magazine. And Jim Van Dyke talks about, talks about, yeah, it's a great profile, talks about you marketing information on behalf of, of your sources, essentially. And I get it. My question is, when you're, when you're doing this in this White House, where it seems like there's Donald Trump, there's a Bannon camp, and there's a Kushner camp. Um, Wait, there's lots more camps. No, it's a okay. long list. That, it seems to be, because from the outside, it looks like, look, you're, you're, if I'm reading you, one of the parlor games I play in my head, and I've read every one of yours, is which one of these three camps does this come from? But you're saying there's more, and that I'm already off my game. Oh, well, no, sure. It's not that you're off your game, yeah. but it's, it's that if you look at how this president has structured this White House, and it's very much the way he ran his business, and that is that you have these competing centers of power and gravity. Right. So in addition to the ones that you mentioned, you have the Kellyanne camp with direct access to him. The president likes having her there because she often gives him different advice than the guys do. And you have the Ivanka camp, and you have Gary Cohn, the economic advisor who has right. much more sway than typically in that job. So we've named all these camps, and we haven't even gotten to the person who's technically in charge of the chief of staff, Reince Priebus. So what I was getting to is, how do you think about saying, all right, I'm hearing this from Camp Bannon or Camp Priebus or Camp, it's the, uh, Javanka, is that, do you use that term? <laughs> do I want to go and, and check this? Do I want to triangulate this against four other t- people and, and provide sort of a modulated, one camp says this, but another camp says this, or do I just want to go, look, this is the message from this person no, and no, this no, ideology, it, and I want to deliver it because that's useful. No, that would be a waste of your time because then you would have to try and figure out, like, what's reality? How does that mix? So we're always trying to ref- reflect the world as it is to the degree that we can. And people come to us for insight, understanding. They know that we talk to the different camps and can translate it, narrate it for you. And so like the uh, nirvana is when the people who are making the news look at that and say, yes, this is reality. Something that we talk to our journalists about is when you write for Recode or when you write for Axios, you have the great privilege that the people who run the world are reading it. The responsibility that comes with that is the people who are reading it are in the room. Like they know what's right. And if you have just one half of the moon, as you're suggesting there, then they're not going to trust you and they're less likely to work with you or help you understand things. So like you don't want to just be literally accurate, like have everything spelled right and transcribed right. No, you want to be more broadly true, that you connect the dots correctly. Because sometimes so when I've read picture. you, I've, I've thought, oh, well, this is clearly what Bannon and those folks think. But boy, but, but, it but then it's labeled that way, and, and yeah, but sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it says like this is like it, it all looks like chaos. I remember that during the immigration ban turmoil in the first couple of weeks, it looks like a shit show, but but the, this is all according to plan, and this is all everything's going well. If it well. said that, it was the SH show, not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't, it, I don't think it did and say then that. There, but and then, and then there's definitely other, more. And SH there are show other weeks plan. where I'll read you, and, and you're saying, look, this presidency really has just been. 73 days of missteps and they're missing opportunities. And it seems very clear that you sort of step back and this is your own perspective or multiple perspectives. And it seems like depending on what day I'm reading you, someone has more of your ear than somebody else. Is what's that fair? Important, yeah, what's important to do is 
label that and to make it clear like this is the mind meld from a particular world because then it just gives you a new pair of glasses to see it. The, the people who are reading this, like the busy, like some of them don't like yeah. swim in the water that we swim in. And so we want to show them quickly. Okay, here's what you need to know. Let's cut through the smoke. This is what looks like it's happening. This is what one side says. This is what the other side says. And that's why our, what it means, reading between the lines, we call them axioms, the little uh, phrases at the end of axios items that help you know what's next, what we don't yep. know. And uh, that bottom line saves you all the time of like sorting through all the verbiage from all the camps. How many folks are reading your newsletter, the new one? Uh, so uh, uh, I haven't seen the metrics lately, but uh, it's uh, grown unbelievably. And like thanks to the times and thanks to the fact that people know that they can come here and catch up quickly. Same, same size audience as Playbook, bigger or smaller? Well, uh, Playbook's existed for 10 years, uh-huh. but uh, we're growing fast and grateful for every single reader that we have. So this is a, a wind-up into getting this next question, which is it's or more of a statement slash question. It seems like one of the other big changes between what you were doing Politico and now is it's a much bigger stage because you're focusing on the White House instead of sort of a lot of Washington stuff that only made, was really relevant to people inside DC primarily. And now there's a much broader audience that's interested in what you're writing about. And it's much more competition. Um, we have Maggie Haberman, Glenn Thrush at the Times, the Washington Post is doing a very good job. Your old employer, Politico, is doing a very good job. So on any given day, I can read what you're describing as happening in the White House, and I can read at least three other pretty well-reported, well-sourced takes on it. I can get them either for free or easily through Twitter. And it seems like there's a much bigger magnifying glass on this story and a lot more competition for the story and a lot more smart consumers comparing you reported this, Maggie Haberman reported this. How do you view that world? Are you aware that you know, you're know you now sort of don't have that stage to yourself or are you just going ahead and sort of writing what you're writing? Yeah, no, uh, very much so. And this is one of the beauties and the efficiencies of reading Axios AM is that in addition to my own reporting, uh, we also like reflect the best scoops or the best insights right. of others. What and, about when they're like, I'll read some, and I'll see, and sometimes I'll see. I saw uh, Ken Vogel was was complaining about something you wrote. I think as an aside, in one of your newsletters, he thought he was dismissed. And I recently, Maggie Haberman was sort of taking issue with something else you wrote. I think this happens with some frequency now, especially on Twitter, where someone will say, "No, no, you you got it wrong." I don't think you do a lot of that. Sometimes you'll say that in the newsletter. You say, "Don't pay attention to the smarty pants who say this." Or actually, literally don't believe other people saying this. I have it right. Right. And, and we link to and um, uh, call attention to Maggie and uh, Ken Vogel all the time. Like Ken is, uh, you may have saw I tweeted, like Ken is the gold standard in his lane. He's fantastic. And um, uh, so many of my former colleagues at Politico, we so admire what they do. They're awesome at what they do. And, uh, and same thing with... Uh, Maggie Haberman, Glenn Thrush, right. like some of the, there's some of the great reporters in America, period, let alone on this particular story. But you are all elbowing each other for this story. And in another era, I wouldn't have been able to compare as an average reader that there were four different takes on the story or two very different ideas in the story. And, and now and, I can't. And this is, this is why you need Axios, is <laughs> that you don't want to go to four websites to try to figure it out. The, what we can do both yeah. in Axios AM and on our website in the Axios stream, like we will find like the best nugget or insight from all those. Uh, Justin Green, one of our 
editors did a brilliant thing after healthcare fell apart. Uh, after the president's healthcare bill fell, fell apart, Politico, the Times, the Post, the Journal, everybody did their massive TikTok yep. about what happened. They're behind Ex- the scenes. Explain what a TikTok is for people who don't uh, follow journalism day yeah, in and day so, out. Uh, so your listeners know that this is a chronology of what happened. It's uh, it's designed to take you behind the scenes. Like it started. And it's usually a structured thing. That's up. Usually the the principles involved in the story help tell it. Sometimes they propose it. And at the top, like you'll have some piece of detail, whether it's telling or not. Like uh, often involves uh, something on the menu or a description of something that that signals the reader. Yeah, like we're in the room. We, we were total- inside the room when Mark Zuckerberg did the WhatsApp deal, and he had chocolate covered strawberries. Touche. Uh, so. Uh, Axios is Justin Green took all these. It was a, a Friday night, Saturday morning. He took and made a TikTok of the TikToks. So he took the best golden nugget out of each of all these long stories, put them together chronologically, and there it was on a screen. It would save you so much time. And here's the thing about it: it leaves you time to then read the New Yorker, or Vanity Fair, yeah. or listen to a podcast or something that you're going to get something out of. You don't have to. Uh, swag through uh, all the like self-involved uh, pros that uh, you and I used to be paid to produce. I still like producing the pros sometimes. I have many more questions for you, but we have to hear from our advertisers because that's actually how we pay for some of this stuff. Um, so we're going to hear from them. They're awesome. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by HostGator. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? Whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. And if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting. Sounds great. They can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. I get what that means. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners will get 60% off. That's six zero. That's a lot. Go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator spelled like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R dot com slash Recode. Today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. And if you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job websites. Now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. You don't have to juggle calls or emails to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com Peter. One more time, if you want to try it for free, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. And we're back with Mike Allen from Axios. Mike, plug your newsletter one more time. Give it the full title. I won't interrupt this time. Yeah, thank you. So uh, morning newsletter is Axios AM, Mike's Top 10. And it's called that because it is literally numbered 1 through 10, the 10 most important things in the world for you that morning, a way to get smart quickly. People love the discipline of that. People love the economy of it, it very much is a thing. I didn't write a long letter. I didn't write a short letter because I didn't have time. The the boiling down the world's news in the morning, getting it to ten, uh, is more trouble, but it's also more rewarding, both for 
us and for our audience. And so, I can get it for free. I can read all of Axios for free right now. We it's had, all free. We started with, in addition to our stream, Axios.com, we started with three newsletters. There's so so much demand. We've added two more daily newsletters. We've added a Sunday night newsletter, Sneak Peek. Yeah, I heard uh, my old colleague, Ina Freed, away. She's doing a tech newsletter for you guys. Yeah, lo- uh, lo- log in. And on uh, we have uh, Energies Generate. And uh, Jonathan Swan, a great up-and-comer that uh, does uh, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue for us. Uh, he does a Sunday night newsletter sneak peek that looks ahead to uh, what's going to be happening both at the Congress and the White House. And very shortly, we're going to be introducing a science stream, a completely new topic out of our sweet spot, but showing like how powerful the Axios architecture is. That on science, a place where... Uh, every day, Allison Snyder, who we hired from the Washington Post to do it, she came in and she said, every day there's a st- stack of science journals like this, and there's three interesting paragraphs in them. And we're like, you're hired. Like, that's exactly the concept, and people in science are going to love it. So that was a long pitch. Good. How are you going to pay for all this? It's all free right now. There's some advertising. Well, actually, I'll just skip ahead. We had Jim Vandehine stage in December. He said, well, eventually there's going to be a paid component. We got one of our reporters to ask him how much. He said, it's 10000 Who's going to pay 10000 bucks, and what are they going to get for that that they're not getting for free right now? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, everything is free. Everything is in front of the paywall. You build the brand. like It helps you attract the talent uh, that you want to. Like down the road, uh, there may be a paid component. But at the moment, uh, everything is going to be free. And we have launch partners, sponsors who want to get their content in front of our audience. Right. And they are loving Axios because we have no pop-ups, no banners. You go on to Axios.com, and the only advertising that there is is the sponsored message in the stream. It's a separate card. It's labeled clearly, but it doesn't interfere with what you're doing. So you read a story, move on to the next yep. one, move on to the next one. Oh, I'm going to get a message. But the, but the business model calls for, for a paid – there's going to be a paid component. You had a paid component at Politico. How far into this will you start charging people for something? Yeah, uh, there's not a timeline for that at the moment. At the moment, like everything on Axios, including those six awesome newsletters, are free. So I'll keep referring back to this interview with Jim. You guys should go listen to it for free uh, over at Recode Replay. But at the time, I think Jim had just announced the name, but the the site didn't exist. Your newsletter didn't exist. He was trying to explain what it was, and it was always sort of labored. But I think the best way to describe it is it's really similar to what you guys were doing in Politico. You're doing really granular, fast-paced, and important news um, delivered to a targeted audience. Um, now you're doing more verticals than you're doing in Politico. But it seems very similar. A, a huge difference yeah. okay, is the architecture of it. So smart brevity is the phrase that we use. And that is that we can give you the big ideas, the things you need to do, but in an iPhone screen or uh, in – a, what it means graph instead of making you uh, dig it out. So the idea right. is well, that Politico was not a – I mean there was a magazine, but it was a short attention span publication as well. So uh, Politico magazine like does – like, Not the magazine. Deep, I mean the rest of Politico. The rest dives. Of yeah. What you were doing and, and what your coworkers were doing, they were cranking out really fast stuff as quickly as they could punch it into their phones. And so what we do is take that smart brevity format and – uh, use it both to narrate and narrow what's out there so that so that if you're trying to catch up on tech or catch up on business, like you know that when you come to us, like you're going to see 
the best of what's out there, including our own reporting and insights, and we'll point you to a reporter like yourself who owns their lane and that is worth worthy of your time. The other major difference in Politico is is that you guys, uh, in addition to some uh, strategic investors and VCs, are owners of this publication. Prior to this, you you weren't. So an an awesome thing about it is all sixty five of our colleagues are owners. So every single person at Axios has uh, is a, an owner. And so uh, besides just being our uh, uh, psychic partners. Uh, everyone who works with us is our literal partner, and that makes such a difference. You get that metabolism. You get that entrepreneurial spirit. You get those people who want to do things differently. Like uh, one, of the, one of the ideas that we have from the beginning is we've really pushed ourselves to do something completely different, not just do what somebody else does a little better, a little faster, or a little smarter, but, but to do things completely differently. An example that will be super interesting to your audience of the way that we do things differently is we have a media trends reporter, Sarah Fisher, who worked on the business side of the New York Times and Politico and worked on the editorial side of CNN and the Washington Post. So that's someone who has like an unbelievable perspective and has done a fantastic job of helping people understand what's going on with the platforms, what's going on with how we consume news, how, what's going on with how we produce News. Something else we did that's completely different. Uh, right under the founders, we hired two executive vice presidents, two political operatives who were at their top of their game. So on the Republican side, Tim Barry, who was the chief of staff to the House Majority Leader, the number two House Republican, Kevin McCarthy, and on the Democratic side, Evan Ryan, who was an assistant Secretary of State under President Obama. News organizations in the past that would have hired a political operative at the top of their game would have made them a talking head. These are two people who are executives who help run our company. Something totally new, and it's really working for us. But but it's still a new media organization working at a very fast speed, working figuring out how to produce stuff on new platforms. Everyone is trying to do it. They're trying to do it in different ways. So you would have gone ahead and done that no matter what. The difference here is that you, you were part of a different organization. Now you've got your own organization. Is there something fundamentally different about what happened at Politico, what you did at Politico than what you're doing now? Or is it just sort of the same through line, different package, different structure? Yeah, no, very much different in that we look at a much wider world. So our big four uh, topics is we talked about tech, business, media, and politics, a much wider world uh, beyond what we looked at before and trying to unify those worlds for people. And... Also, the aesthetics, the architecture, very different. Like the smart brevity idea, which is very different from what we did before, but really fits the times. Both that people's time is short and our yeah. attention spans are short, but also there's so much more out there. That, that, that all of us have the fire hose coming at us. And the result of that is that, A, we always feel like we're missing something, right? There's always something out there. You know what it looks like a lot like to me is my Twitter feed where everything is packaged in 140 characters comes by really fast. I guess the difference is, right, is I spend a lot of time on Twitter, so I see a lot of stuff, and I probably spend too much time on Twitter. And your premise is you don't spend all your time on Twitter, so yeah, well, here's, here's a newsletter that has the most important things. Yeah, people have called yesterday. a smart Twitter, and like there are definitely some advantages uh, to that. But in, but in addition to, you always feel like you're missing something. But the other problem for people like us who are like smart hyper-consumers, uh, the other problem that Axios solves is we're so used to investing time 
in pieces that wind up not delivering. And you get to the end of it and you're like, that didn't do what I thought it was going to. So we'll rescue from that. Yes, rescue from from that too. Either give you the one big idea, yep. the hot stat, the hot quote, or say, this is something that is worthy of your time. Make time to read the whole thing. Do you feel like Twitter and Facebook to a lesser extent are your competitors as much as Maggie Haberman and the Washington Post and Politico in, in that if I want to get up to minute stuff, I can get it immediately free from a million different sources. If I'm smart about how I use Twitter, it's going to immediately tell me that the Trump administration just dropped their suit against Twitter and I can get that really in real time. Yeah, the way that we compete is for your time and for your eyeballs. And uh, there are things that those platforms do awesomely that we never will. We're never going to be the place to go to learn about your your friends' kids. But we are a place that you can go and like very quickly learn what you need to do to make uh, what you need to know to make smarter decisions to uh, be ahead of your competition to or just to know what's happening in this world we care about. My siblings live in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, and Portland, Oregon, and they're super interested in the news, but their jobs are completely unrelated to it. So they can catch up very quickly, and they're... Got it. That came out ruder than I intended. I'm trying not to be rude. We're among friends here. Um, just talking. Here's an in-the-weeds question. When you guys go and speak, and when you get a paid speaking event, does the staff keep that money or does that get kicked into Axios? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. The reason I'm asking, I just happened to run into a, a VC who, I guess, who looked at your stuff but didn't invest and said that was part of the business plan was that speaking fees would become part of the revenue stream. I think that the uh, plans may have evolved since yeah. then. I'm not sure uh, what they were looking This is at. your first startup, right? You've, prior to this, you've been an employee at a fairly traditional news organization up until now. Yeah, so – Portico started with... Uh, you were a founding th- member, basically. Of yeah, with uh, three of us. It was John Harris, Jim Van High, and I, three people on Jim Van High's sunroom, uh, and uh, Robert Alberton, uh, who's the great uh, uh, owner that uh, uh, backed it. And uh, we grew it from three of us on the sun porch to 460 people around the world. So we're very proud of Portico. I just like trying to figure out the, what it's like to start a media company in the summer of 2016. Uh, compared I mean, to ask, a few ask, years ago. Ask Kara Swisher what it's like to start a media company. Like, she's done it fantastically. Yeah, she did a good job, and then she sold it. I mean, we share some of the same backers, too, so it's all a fun family. But Kara's not here, so I wanted to ask you. Did you have any trepidation about going off and starting a new oh. thing, or did you think this is actually a fairly easy thing to do in 2016 oh, to go start Not a, start easy, a business? but it's the golden age. Like, there's so much opportunity that that if you have a great story to tell, if you are someone who wants to help smart people be smarter, like the times are awesome because the technology is there. Goodness knows the times in the world are perfect for it. And so both from an editorial sensibility and a business sensibility, there has never been a better time. And for journalists, I spend a lot of time talking to journalism students and I'm always surprised. I go into a journalism class and they are used to gloom and doom and pessimism and everybody thinks the business is shrinking or uh, falling apart. But no, like the business is thriving and growing. It's different. Like we had a, a chart the other day in Axios AM, that, that uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, that from 2001 to 2016, over 15 years, half of the jobs disappeared from the newspaper industry. And so they fell apart, but we have Vox and we have Recode and we have uh, Portico and we yeah, have Yeah, it's Axios. bad if you had one of those jobs that disappeared and it's good if you're working at Vox or Axios. Well, no. Uh, 
uh, you and I used to work at newspapers, and uh, we changed with the times. I never got a newspaper job. I could not get into a newspaper. Well, I think things worked out. It, yeah, it worked out fine. Can we talk about some mechanics about how you do your job? You're a phone guy. Um, I was getting, reading old profiles, talking about you clutching your BlackBerry. What percentage of your time are you talking on your phone versus texting versus email? So all of those, it's too much. I love the idea of finding a way to uh, get away from it. Uh, I had a great conversation with somebody out in California a couple months ago who does a phone Shabbat. And so from Friday sundown down- You would break out in hives. Till, no, it would be awesome. Um, and I should find a way to do it on like Saturday afternoons or something like that. But from Friday afternoon to uh, Saturday sundown, they not only are off their phone, but they don't cheat. And the point they were making to me is you have to actually make plans and keep them, something we're not used to doing. And, uh, and you, again, you can't do that since you're producing a newsletter every weekend or twice a week. But I don't have to be producing a newsletter while I'm talking to you or while I'm having dinner with you. I can put this away like a couple. Yeah, I got to say, I was pretty impressed that you've kept the phone down until now. It was good. I'm, and, and now I'm just using it as a prop. I'm not looking at it. The like two ideas uh, for this one, that both that I like. One, I have a friend who in their front hall, they have a basket. And when you walk in the house, you put the phone in the basket. So you don't forget it. You see it when you come out. Uh, but you're not on it. Uh, another thing, I have some friends who, when they uh, sit down to dinner, everybody puts their phone in the middle of the table. It is a complete party it's foul a shaming. to it's a touch, shaming. Yes, yeah. to but, touch the phone. But, and a, ver- a great variation of it is if you touch the phone, you pick up the check. But I, I'm not interested in life-work balance. I mean, I am. But I think with you, you're probably mostly work. I'm just curious. No, no, no I'm, about, I'm very for the yeah, balance. I'm just curious about how much of your information comes from Talking on the phone versus some sort of text versus talking to an actual person face-to-face. Yeah, as you know from your own work, uh, people have different preferences. And like one of my little life lessons is you have to know – you have to have a sense of the room. And the sense of the room can be include whether or not you prefer or like a text or like – some people, as you know, you want to talk about party fouls. To actually call – yeah. Certain people, really Do you think, really that, do you think that's generational now, or do you think that someone in their 60s is just as happy to text with you as someone who's in their 20s? It depends on uh, the person. And, I mean, I'm struck when I'm in a newsroom and it's quiet. Yes. Because everyone's typing, yeah. and I think that's really that, weird. That is generational. Yeah. That I don't want to be. I don't want to sound too old-mannish, but that's bizarre. No, that's right. Uh, you go in and you're like, what, is this a call center? Um, but they're on Slack, whereas like we would have – been like, hey, have you seen this? Whatever. Like, yeah. they'll. Uh, so I, I was thinking that if you uh, were to write a book about a media startup these days, uh, the book would be called Slack It to Me. But you've got, you know, I'm presumably some of your sources who are older probably are not spending a lot of time texting and emailing, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're perfectly happy to do that at this point. Yeah, there's uh, maybe a little WhatsApp, maybe a little confide. Yeah, uh, I was going like to ask about, I was gonna, I was ask about that. Or, uh, if, if people are intentionally trying to f- use using more secure or disappearing messaging like confide, WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram. So you, you just have all the apps. However someone wants to reach you is the way you communicate with them. That's right. And it's partly how and Rico and Vox are great at this too, is just as people want to deliver information to you or interact with you, Differently, uh, people want to consume their news in different ways. And so I like to think of the news as a buffet. And like if you want your news on Facebook, like we have fantastic uh, Facebook products, very elegant, very efficient. You like your news on Apple News? 
like we have a fantastic uh, stream for Apple News, including at the end of each day, uh, the top five things in Trump that day does awesome in Apple News. And it's a different consumer than the person who wants my newsletter or my email, but it's someone who like, cares about what's happening in their world. What's like, your I, What's your bat phone if someone says, I really got to get a hold of Mike immediately? Are they uh, calling you? Are they texting you? Are they... They're not slacking you. Oh, any any or all. But I uh, something's unique and super easy to get because besides the fact that my uh, email address isn't too hard to figure out, Mike at Axios.com. Don't tell anybody. Which you my newsletter to? actually comes from me. And so if you take Axios AM, Mike's Top 10, it pops into your mailbox. If you reply to it, it comes to my only email address. That's my real email address, and I will answer you any personalized email to me, I always answer. Have you ever considered getting an assistant, having someone help you just sort out just the deluge of stuff that's coming in? No, the beauty the beauty of it is the personal contact. And that way you know your audience. And that's the key to the top 10 is that is that because I'm in constant touch with the audience, I know what they want. I know what they need. And I know what's too much. And uh, I know what they probably already no, and we're on the way in. We're talking about like how you uh, how you uh, sort out the ten. And like one thing is like if you've probably seen something, um, like we'll move on and do, make sure that you see something fresh. So I I would love for every item in the ten and every item in our stream. Like even if you no one except maybe you and some of your colleagues, nobody reads everything. But even if they read everything. Yep. They would still get value from our newsletters, from our stream, because our subject matter experts are bringing their expertise to it. Our, in the example you were giving, is not just reading Maggie Haberman, but uh, also reading our other competitors and making sure that if you want to get smart fast on Bannon or whatever it is at this moment, you can do it in a screen and you're going to trust us that we've gotten it right and that we've gotten what's important out there. One thing that we... Like talk to our young journalists is there's three things that we want people to say. We want people to say they're smart. I trust them. And that's so big right now. People just don't know what to trust. They're smart. I trust them. They don't waste my time. And that is so big. Politico was born in uh, the Bush administration. Right? January 07. Then grew up during Obama. And when Trump showed up, you guys had early access. You were, you were filing stories from Trump Tower. When you kicked off, you had interviews with Trump, clearly had a lot of access to Trump and his team. How do you convince that team to give you that access early on out of the gate? Yeah, and you're a genius at this. The way that reporters do that is convincing the people that that they that you understand what's happening. That you're going to give people a fair shake. That you are going to describe what's really happening. That you're not just going to be literally accurate that you spell everything right so you don't have to run a correction, but also what you write is going to be more broadly true, that you can connect the dots. And if people know you do that, if you have a track record of doing that, as we now do over many years, people want to work with you because they know that you're going to explain their worldview to a very influential audience, and that is fire for them. Your story is the beginning of the Trump administration, saying these guys are really going to be disruptive. They're going to get a lot of stuff done. Republicans have very high hopes that these could be the most productive people. Um, as it became clear that this wasn't happening really over the last couple of weeks, um, and you've reported that, 
because um, it's super obvious. Yeah, more, to see it's it. more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, really, as the wheels have fallen off or we can pick the better for, right? And the coverage has become more negative because the facts are more negative. Does that team pull back from you? Said, well, we don't, we're not we're not as comfortable with this coverage anymore. We'd rather go to Infowars. Well, I, I wouldn't uh, say it is positive and negative. It's like we reflect reality, and sometimes yeah. reality is more positive. But as you know, not. sometimes people don't want to hear reality. No, but when they're fighting a fight, when they're in the war, then they need to explain themselves more than ever. And so, like your coverage reflects this that often when uh, someone is uh, fighting a tide, like they're even more eager to explain something to you. So you understand it because by and large people think that they are they believe in what they're doing if you believe in what you're doing at all whether you're on the defense or you're on the offense if you believe in what you're doing you want me to understand it and you want me to explain it and convey it so we're again we're recording this on friday april 7th you guys will hear this what the 13th is that right so the narrative right now is is kushner is ascendant bannon is, has been sidelined he's on the way out it seems that this is Charlie Brown on the football. We shouldn't assume that this narrative is going to continue down this path. There'll be other twists and turns. Can you can you give us a forecast? Sure. What we're seeing is the president thinking that he needs to make some changes. He spends a lot of time calling people. As you know, this uh, president has always, like over his career, that's been a big way that he's taken in information, a big way that he formed his opinions is calling around. And uh, he loves his cell phone, calling other people on their phones. And as he calls around, uh, often at night, so as you know, he's a bachelor in the White House, uh, when he calls around, people are saying, you need to do something differently. And he wants to win. And on health care and other issues, he hasn't been winning. So th- that's one of the reasons that he's looking at changes, uh, looking at uh, uh, could like responsibilities be moved around, like, are we paying a price for this understaffed White House, which is partly their fault, partly their, partly not, partly intentional, partly not? And so, like, we're in an exciting time because as they head toward 100 days on April 29th, which by coincidence may be the day that the government uh, shuts down, they're definitely trying to avoid that. Democrats recognize how much leverage they had because when you control both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, very difficult to blame a government shutdown on anyone else. But as, as they head toward 100 days, they definitely are looking at uh, should we make more changes? Should we bring in more people? Should people right. – So your story today was Ryan's could be on the way out and then secondarily Bannon might be going. And people have been sort of talking about this around the edges for a long time. And the short conventional wisdom is, well, if it's between Bannon and Kushner, Kushner's a son-in-law, family's always going to win out. Is there a real possibility that that Bannon, who was so important to his victory and then the first six months of the administration through the transition, is it really possible that that he really cuts ties with them in in a real way? Oh, sure. And it's possible, of course, that he could uh, remain engaged on the outside. But uh, they're definitely looking at uh, the possibility of a change there. And Steve Bannon may want it. Um, uh, He'd give great – uh, quote uh, uh, yesterday to uh, Axios' Jonathan Swan, uh, there was all this this barrage of negative information out there about uh, Bannon. And there were two great quotes. One is Bannon said to uh, his associates, I like a knife fight. Right. And so he's ready to fight back. And another great quote that Jonathan had in his story is, uh, it might be about time for some negative news about Jared Kushner. So uh, it's going to be an exciting 
week, and your listeners will know the ending. For us, it's still a mystery. Oh, should we leave it there? I have other questions, but you've buttoned it so nicely. You've done this before. All right, let's leave it there. Let's give Mike a final plug. Go to Axios.com. You can get his newsletter, many other Axios newsletters. Axios AM, Mike's Top 10. Um, all free. Uh, all part free. of a good breakfast. And congratulations on what you have built, and specifically podcasts. Like uh, It's amazing what you learn from them. And so thank you. It was a great privilege and honor to be in, here in the stand-up uh, uh, stand up New York uh, Comedy Club. We'd love to have you back in the Stand Up New York Comedy Club. Come I'll back be, anytime. I'll be back. Thanks, Mike. Thank you guys for listening. Like Mike says, this is a lot of fun to, to create. It's fun to listen to. We're glad you like it. And like I said, we're at a million streams over the last year, so thank you for listening. We're going to double that. We're going to double that today. And when you're done listening to this, you can go back and listen to some other great podcasts we've done recently. Jason Calacanis was on. He wants to come back immediately. He wants to talk more. Scott Frank directed Logan. Actually, he wrote Logan. I'm sorry, I didn't direct it. Um, it's coming back. Lydia Paul Green from the Huffington Post. Those are all available for free. Kara Swisher has a great podcast. So does Lauren Good from The Verge. Thanks to our sponsors, HostGator and ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Digital Media, who sells those ads so we can keep bringing this to you for free. I'm back next week with another and, great and, guest. And oh, by the way, I forgot the full name. This is the Stand Up New York Comedy Club and Bar. The Where's smell. the bar? The bar is downstairs. The All whole right. club is downstairs. Right. We're, we're in the down annex. All right. I'll see you. I'm buying. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>